Hello. Hello. Um, hey, we've got a new location at the moment. We're in um, uh, a small ABC office that I'm currently temporarily calling my own during yes. production of Kitchen Cabinet. It has lots of boxes of old stuff that have nothing to do with me that were left here by the, <laughs> I assume, dead people who used to be in this funny-shaped little office. But is anybody going to work walk in here to want to do yoga? No. Is anybody exactly. going to walk in to want to breastfeed? Nobody is going to walk in here to do anything except discreetly kill someone. It's the strangest <laughs> shaped little office. And it's got a priest hole in it, like a old medieval style priest hole, which What's... is just like a useless piece of space hidden down next to this strange pillar that's in the middle of this. Why is it called a priest hole? Well, you know, um, so priest holes uh, were medieval um, holes, uh, you know, down the side of chimneys and stuff where you could stuff a priest while the priests were being murdered, you know. Oh. So it's um, a place to hide a person, a, a tiny, tiny crushed place, but if, if it's between hiding there and getting, you know, um, ritually disemboweled, I guess, and even a tiny hole would be great. And it just means that if anybody from accounts is ever looking for me, or anybody from... <laughs> Straight down the priest hole. Yeah, or I anybody, think, uh... you know, I'd like you to come and speak at our Rotary Club <laughs> gathering and like, whoa, priest hole. The priest hole. Priest I think hole. I've already got the uh, title for this week's episode, priest hole. Priest hole. <laughs> Uh, now, always helping you out. Thanks, sales. love. Thanks, love. Now, can I just? I know that it's part of. Well, firstly, can I just say, if you don't listen to this podcast all the time and you dip in and out, there is a growing bank of in jokes about things like the audio quality, my husband's name. You might be thinking, wasn't she married to a guy called Phil? Now she seems to be with a guy called Brendan. What's going on there? My dislike of birds. All these things. You probably need to go back and fill in, you know, some of the gaps in your knowledge, basically. So. One of the running gags is the poor, general poor technical quality of our podcast. But last week's actually was just so bad when I listened back to it that I really do sincerely apologise. And I don't know what I did, but somehow I think I put my microphone not into the microphone hole, but into the ear, earphones hole. <laughs> Wrong hole. Priest hole. Priest hole. <laughs> not into the priest hole. So You're this so week. good to have gone back and listened, though. Do you know, I've never listened to one second of this podcast. <laughs> well, do you know why I did it? Because I I was helping Brendan out and I was scribbling down what all the links were. But do you know what made me laugh? The funniest thing in the entire thing is that, so you are a very articulate person and you're always reaching for words like Nimrod and Quidnunc and Priestol. <laughs> anyway, I exasperated you so much with my the revelation that I quite like the song Blurred Lines that all you could reach for to describe <laughs> what's his chops thick was, but, but that, 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 that stupid bastard... <laughs> <laughs> That's what I produced you to. Stupid bastard. Thingy. Oh. Anyway. Um, so, uh, what have we... Oh, let's... Okay, let's start with something that's been taking the world by storm. Oh, yeah. Harper Lee's new book. Mm. Are you going to read it? Well, I just had an email saying, um, we're sending you a copy of it. Did you get one of those? Yes. Right, okay. And I and actually... Have you said prompt, yes or no? I promptly replied and said, look, I don't mean to be, you know, sort of ungrateful, but please don't because <gasps> I'm not going to read it. Oh, oh, oh. And the oh, publisher right. replied very, very nicely and said, I completely understand. I just said I don't want to read it because I, you know, love, like most people do, To Kill a Mockingbird, and I don't want to sully my enjoyment of it by reading something that makes me feel differently about it. Well, maybe I should read it. Now that you've you've decided not to, now I'm oddly more determined to. I felt like you until you said that, and then and now I'm oh, stupid bastard. <laughs> I'm 
running out of words. <laughs> well, see, we um, need some creative tension, so you should yeah. you should read it. Yeah, you know. But I, I, I don't. I'm one of the things about the pace of today's world is that it's not enough to just have a book, and the funny thing about the past week of discussion and excitement about this new novel and um, it's not called, it's the sort of sequel to To Kill a Mockingbird and it's called um, To Set a... Go, go Set go, a Watchman. Go Set a Watchman. What does that even mean? I know, I find that an annoying title. Go Set a Watchman. Is there a it's comma a missing? Go to, Set a Watch comma yeah, man. Yeah, I know. It's a bit close to Don't Have a Cow Man, isn't it? <laughs> it you is know? a bit, yeah. Um, uh, but then the cover of the book has um, Go Set a Watchman, mm. you know, in bold, with sort of behind it lightly the words To Kill a Mockingbird kind of. Mm. So it's it's obviously, as you would if you were the publisher, um, hitching this wagon mm. to the most famous star in, you know, literature for young people and a book that is welded into the memories of anybody who's received basic education, you mm. know, to... Um, early secondary level and it's kind of a significant event right but the problem is that we can't seem to stop it just saying well here's a book maybe read it and see what you think like it's already erupted into arguments about who should play whom in the movie and mm. oh I can't that's what I can't bear like I do not want to hear the words Reese Witherspoon mentioned in the context of thinking about whether I'm going to read this book or you know whether I'm going to enjoy it and all that sort of thing it's just it's like I just want to press pause on all that stuff mm. it's look I know I know that they've said that also that Harper Lee has not been taken advantage of or anything but I do have some some misgivings as well about somebody who's clearly frail and at the end of their life releasing a book when they have spent their entire life not releasing this material. So that makes me a little uncomfortable. Maybe it's completely fine, but anyway, I just sort of, I don't know, I don't want to read it. It's so tricky too, isn't it? The the idea, when you've done something that's a great, great success, you know, the follow-up act, act two, oh, it's just so difficult. I know. What do you possibly, when you've written To Kill a Mockingbird, what do you ever do? Or even your Jerry Seinfeld, you've written Seinfeld, the most successful sitcom, you know, ever. There's nothing that you can really do basically that's going to top it and probably and do you want to I mean well no you'd have is, to accept this is where the can't. character of writers comes into play I think you know because um, the, the extent to which you get caught up in the celebrity or the success of what you've done and of course publishers are always going to want you to, if something's been really successful to follow up as quickly as possible mm. with something else. But I think and what that, often happens, though, is that people then reach for material that they've previously written because right, it's yeah. easy to whip up quickly. But the reason that that material hasn't previously come out is because it wasn't as good. Yeah. So then often I think then it creates the problem that then the second or the follow-up thing is you know genuinely not, not yeah. as good. It's, there's an interesting question here, too, about um, who owns works of writing. Like, I mean, in a sort of legal sense and while copyright is still um, uh, hasn't expired then you know the the writer and the publisher you know own that material but in the case of um, very very famous and beloved authors you get this sense of ownership from people who love those books and a sense of entitlement to other stuff that they've read so what happens when writers you know um, 
die and leave behind boxes of things that they never meant to have published, and yet people are sort of clamouring to have them published. It's a really delicate question, I reckon, and, and I can understand writers who go to their graves being full of fear that, you know, this um, unpublished novella that they wrote when they were, you know, um, much younger or whatever would be kind of seized upon and published just because it would be a publishing event. I mean, I don't know the details of what's happened with Harper Lee, so... um... You you think in the writing process... I mean, my writing process is I tend to just blurt out a whole lot of bleh and then it's always... That's why your novels really suck, Not that, I've st- not that I've had a stab at writing fiction. but um, And then I try to, because I think the hardest thing is actually getting something out. And so once it's out, I find it much easier to then fix it to up once it it's haircut, on the page. Right, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so invariably for me, the first draft or an unfinished draft of something is really, really bad. Yeah. And it will include things like, you know... Words sort of like messy. Yeah. Um, and I haven't formulated yeah. yet exactly what I'm trying to say. Um, so I would be absolutely horrified to think that somebody might go through any half-formed bits of jotting. I can't life. stand anyone reading anything of mine that isn't finished. Mm. Um, and one of the hardest things about writing a book is that you have to show somebody bits that aren't finished. And it's an absolute agony. Mm. It's just, I can't stand it. And I would never show anyone a column or something shorter that I've read. Margaret Atwood wrote a a book about writing and she she had this line in it that really stuck with me, which is, even to keep a journal, which if you want to write fiction, you know, you sort of need to do. She said, said, even to keep an honest journal that's going to be of use to you in writing, not only do you have to not imagine anybody else reading it, you have to also imagine your future self not reading oh, God. it. Oh, that's the, that's the 100% the reason I've never kept a journal. It's, it's that I would be so embarrassed at my own thoughts, you know, even the next day, let alone, you know, a week or, a, you know. And there's I, something so self-conscious about, you know. I've kept all of... So I started keeping a journal in earnest when I was about 13. God, I've so kept all of them. That. <laughs> but I... Periodically, I think about throwing them out. Your Nancy Drew uh, fan. <laughs> yeah, it was. And the Anne of Green Gables and all the rest of it. But unfortunately, when you're a teenager, you know, well, I was, uh, you're so sort of obsessed with yourself and your own thoughts. It's yeah. too internal. Mm. Whereas now, in the sort of journal I keep, I jot down observations about things that I'm looking at or things, snatches of dialogue that I hear that I think oh that's funny or mm. ways certain people are or just genesis of genesis of little ideas about things or things that catch my interest so I don't really write any internal stuff down I only write external stuff down so the teenage diaries I guess when I've looked back at them I mean they're just horrifyingly self-obsessed um, and quite excruciating to read but I, at the same time I can't really bear to throw them out because it's just such a unique little time capsule oh my god can you leave them to me in your will <laughs> I'll take them. I'll take good care of them, lady friend. I kept even a few bits of because I was always scrappling around trying to write novels, you know, like yeah, in right. the style of you said you had red lace, but you know, just racy pot boilers. So there's scraps and pieces oh of. Oh my god! You know, Mary Ellen. Oh no, they always had sort of elaborate names. You know, Josephine La Campagne was. <laughs> Flicked her ebony hair and from her, her shoulders and her amber eyes. <laughs> exactly. Oh my god. I know. You know, I the other day I was having a look at um, the New York Times at the end of every year publishes its hundred notable books of the previous mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. 
and I print it out every year and I go through and highlight the ones that I think I would like to read. Anyway, I was cleaning up my desk the other day and so I started downloading the highlighted ones, you know, six months after I put the piece of paper there. Um, do you know the thing that sort of struck me? One was that with reading, even though I love reading, there is a feeling of excitement around it, but there is also a constant feeling of anxiety and despair because there is so much good mm -hmm. stuff to read. And as I was downloading, you know, book after book, I felt like this is like I'm standing under a waterfall with a thimble trying to catch water. Um, and so I just, every with every book I downloaded, the greater this sense of um, anxiety was. And then in the middle of it, I got an email from Amazon about a book I downloaded two weeks ago called Palace of Treason by Jason Matthews. And it said, how did you rate Palace of Treason? I was like, fuck it off, Amazon. I'm under enough pressure without you. I bought it two weeks ago. It my back. It got my back. It's only, I've had it for two weeks. I haven't finished it yet. What's wrong with you, Amazon? Um, the other thing too is how weird it is how the universe sometimes throws things your way that all of a sudden it feels like you're hearing it from everywhere. Like you mentioned on the podcast either last week or the week before a book called Little Failure. Was it? Yeah, Gary Steingart. Mm. And I'd highlighted it on my thing from oh, six really? months ago. Yeah, that it had caught my eye. And so well, now you I bought think, it because I can just give you my copy. Oh, okay. Yeah, that'd be good. I downloaded a sample because I thought I'd try it and see. Um, so, yeah, that, I take that as the universe trying to send me a message that I need to read that book. Yeah, but I like finding things indirectly as well. I mean, I'm, I'm actually really bad at keeping up with books that have just been published. Like, I'm just not a very kind of, ooh, there's a new... I mean, there's a few authors where I will look out for their new books. But I really like that process of accidentally coming across things. And I don't care at all if I come across something that's 10 years old or 8 years old or whatever, because I know that I can never really keep up with everything that's being published. Um, how do you so, how do you accidentally come across stuff? Uh, just from often um, from reading articles and seeing links to things and thinking, oh, that's interesting. I mean, that's very much the case for me with nonfiction, but also you know things that I find. I referred to me accidentally, like, for instance, I mean, I've spent the last um, few days reading a book by, a, book by uh, a Sydney barrister called Richard McHugh, who I know very slightly um, because he um, was uh, one of the lawyers that kept me out of prison about 10 years ago when I was being <laughs> prosecuted by the Senate Privileges Committee in uh, a uh, best forgotten uh, case called the Senate versus Crab, <laughs> which involved me. Look, it, it wasn't really a yeah, case. What was it? Oh, look, I, uh, when I was going to The Age and covering the communications round, I wrote a, a story um, for The Age that got a, you know, thumping run down the bottom of page six or something, um, talking about a uh, Senate committee review of the media ownership laws that was to be published that day. And I had um, been leaked the content of this report, which I went ahead and reported, which is a breach of the Senate um, privileges uh, rules. So Do you know what breaks my heart hearing this story? Mm. That now in our podcast we've discussed media ownership I know. Laws. <laughs> you know, from the titillating angle of me nearly being banged <laughs> the up by the Senate. And it sort of, I got this letter saying, you know, oh, you're in big, you know, you're in trouble, Senate Privileges Committee, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, oh, right, okay. I, I treated it like a parking fine. Like I just put it on right. my desk. And then I finally mentioned it to the lawyer at the age who just, like, lost his mind oh. and said, oh, my God, this is about a big deal. And it did turn into quite a big deal. And, right. um, and there was a hearing and all that sort of thing. Anyway, I didn't get banged up in the end. Um, Richard McHugh kept you out of prison. Yeah, and... Um, 
um, I believe he's also been the barrister recently for Gina Reinhardt's children. Yes, yeah, right. So he's, uh, anyway, yep. he, in that manner of um, lawyers sometimes, um, is, uh, as it turns out, a, a novelist in his part-time. He's just in his spare time. Um, he's also a photographer in his spare time. Um, he's a really interesting guy. And he's also, just um, fun fact, the son of Michael McHugh, former High Court judge, and Jeanette McHugh, who was the first woman to serve uh, in Parliament from New South Wales. Wow, what a family yeah, of underachievers. Yeah, I know. It's they really are pretty slack. Um, anyway, but the novel is really good fun. Um, yeah. It's called um, Charlie Anderson's General Theory of Lying, and it's a kind of a Sydney, it's based in the sort of um, surprise, surprise, Sydney, well-to-do professional classes, and it's kind of like a, a comedy of manners. This terrible uh, bloke who's a uh, who's incredibly in love with his wife and devoted to his children, but also is this massive philanderer, you know. And it's um, it's interesting because it's it's kind of a, a man book in some ways. Like it's about this sort of rakish sort of character. But it's kind of really closely observed and is very engaged in um, the character's three daughters. And it is just like a really ripping read. Yeah, I, really, I really enjoyed it. Anyway, so I kind of picked that up by accident, I suppose, because of my connection to the, to the writer. Well, I have done that um, recently with a book too. The book's called A Time to Run and the author's name is J.M. Peace, but that's not really the author's name. Um, the author's real identity is not being revealed because she is a Queensland police officer. Okay. And I went to uni with her. She actually did journalism with me. She's a really awesome, great chick. She did journalism, worked for a year or maybe two as a journalist and pretty quickly realised, I don't like this, I don't like being a journalist, travelled for a while and then decided she'd be a state police officer. Um, but she is a really good writer and, and she's also an avid reader and whatnot and had always wanted to, I think she did journalism because she wanted to write books and saw that as a way into that. Anyway, so she got a two book deal um, and her, so I just read her first book, A Time to Run, and it's about um, with some women in Brisbane who are going missing and then the one of them who goes missing is a police officer. Mm. And then there's another female police officer who, try, who sort of heads the case trying to track mm. her down. Anyway, it chugs along really well. It was, I was so proud of her. It reads really, really well. And she started writing a blog as well. Is where, she still a cop? She's still a cop, yeah. She's desk bound now. She's got two small children. Um, so this, hence, you know, the sort of um, writing under the nom de plume. Uh, she writes a blog where she talks about just law and order issues and issues in society, social issues, cultural issues, from the perspective of a police officer done anonymously. And it's really, really interesting. Wow. What's the yeah. blog called? Um, I think it's just under her name, just, you know, like JM Peace or whatever. Right. Um, we'll put the link on www.chat10looks3.com. Oh, I see what you did yeah. there. Yeah, and if you like Leave it. Leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, it was great. So that was just, I was so happy for her because, you know, when you've wanted to do something all your life, sometimes you, you get to do these things and sometimes you don't. And she's always wanted to do this and she's done it. I'm just so happy for her. And it's good. That is um, an incredible facility of the modern digital environment, isn't it? You don't have to sort of butterize around, you know, trying to find some way to do it. You just do it. That's um, right. But she actually got, she. it's not self-published or anything. Mm. It's for, by, I forget, I think it's Picador. Like it's legitimate, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. which is, it's also, that's a very hard thing to do when you have no contacts and you've not, 
you know, you don't know anyone in publishing or whatever. She has just come from zero and through the quality of her work. Oh, good on her. Good deal. Yeah, so. If you had to, oh, imagine having the luxury too of choosing a pen name. God. <laughs> I just so didn't ask cool. her why she came up with that one. Well, I, you, you'd have to go with some initials somewhere, wouldn't you? I mean, it's just so, mm. you know. Well, the cop, the other thing that made me laugh. It might be Earl J. McNabb. <laughs> You'd be writing like military thrillers with a name like yeah, that, I think. Yeah, Earl J. McNabb. I don't know what I'd go for. Probably some florid, you know, thing with a middle You'd initial. be Tabitha, you know, Whisper Sword or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I something, I don't, I've got such a practical loose sales real name. I'd be wanting something, yeah, a bit, bit more florid, I there's think. A, there's that. such a great, um, uh, I remember this great passage in Helen Garner's novel Cosmo Cosmolino, which is about this, um, in part, it, there's a passage about... Um, this sort of pyramid scheme that the characters kind of get caught up in and they get all excited about oh my god I'm going to make $10,000 and then they all get all enthused about it and they have to choose sort of player names and one of them chooses the name, you know, they're all like, you know, I'm going to be Bumpkin and I'm going to be you know, Rover and this guy is like, I'm going to be Falcon or something like that. I love the idea of little pen names reflecting people's sad aspirations, just like you, Tabitha. Hey, I've got a surprise for you that I should have shown you before when we were downstairs in my office, which is I got a little package in the mail today addressed to Chat 10 Looks 3. No. And opened it. Finally, and was, our dream of merch. <laughs> and there was exactly there was a little card in it that said, "You have received an anonymous gift, and now you have to give somebody else a nice, you know, or you've received an anonymous act of kindness or something, and now you have to do something kind to someone with this card and pass it on." And guess what it was? Bag of edible rose petals. <gasps> no. Yes. Oh my God, thank you so much, Anonymous Chat 10 Looks 3 listener. We, I was just, that made my morning to open that. That is so I know. great. Chat 10 Looks 3 listeners are the nicest people. Like the I don't know if you ever see all the tweets and stuff that we get, but they are just funny and nice and interesting and they're awesome. And helpful because I must say, helpful, yeah. we had um, a couple of links to edible rose petals and here you can get them here and here. Mm, and here that's right. Was, um, yeah, and somebody people. sent us... Uh, and I should put it up for people to read. You know how last week I was saying, who's out sitting out the back going, it's time for kill, it's kill, kill, kill. <laughs> um, someone said, actually, a PR company did that and sent me the link to the story of how Kale... wasn't it? Fantastic. So, yeah. yes, thank you. Sorry, I should have checked your handle, whoever you were, Kale person, to say thank you. Well, we'll um, put you in the links, Kale yes. person. Yeah. <laughs> um, although, yeah. Yeah, Brendan Kale, um, <laughs> Tim Kale. Um, sorry. Uh, now, I just wanted to... Oh, while we're on ingredients... Yeah. I, I've been meaning for some time to say two words to you, and they are date syrup. That's all I'm going to oh. say to you. Date syrup. Date it's syrup. my current ingredient for everything. Oh. Date syrup. Okay. So our boyfriend, Otolengi, uses um, a bit of this stuff, but it is... Oh, you're sharing him with me now. He's our boyfriend. Sure. You know, <laughs> uh, yeah. um, it is... Like a, a syrup, you'll be surprised to hear. Um, made of let me just, just push the made of dates. vitamized dates and water. I think it's smooth. Right. But if you, it's sort of sweet, but it has that capacity to work well with savoury stuff. Oh. If you just put a drizzle of it over some hummus or any oh, kind of, you know, yeah, yeah, with or a bit of a, a cheese, a sharp cheese. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Or you can use it in salad dressings. It's a bit like pomegranate molasses. It has that mm. kind of property, but not quite as tart as pomegranate molasses. 
and or you can dribble it over um, yogurt and your muesli in the morning. I'm telling you, it is the greatest stuff, and oh. I am now pretty much just dipping everything in my life into it. And <laughs> I found it really hard to find, but you can you can um, find it online um, at various you know kind of fabulous um, online food shops. The oh, types that, that you go into and you think I'm just here for some date syrup, and then you're like you've got eight you know bags of Persian fairy floss and kind of you know, <laughs> yeah exactly. Blah, blah, blah. Um, while, we're, while we're on our boyfriend, um, Yotamata Lingisi, again, another in-joke. If you haven't listened to the podcast, you're like, what? What are they We're not about? actually both dating that man. No, he is not actually our boyfriend. Yotamata Lingi, um, I did some cooking out of plenty more on the weekend. I did two salads. This one, is getting tedious because it's the only cookbook we ever talk about. I know, I know. But I can't help it just because I'm, I, I am a bit, I get a new cookbook and I go through it and I highlight the ones I want to make and then I just keep going back to it. Um, I made the beetroot, yogurt and lemon relish salad which was one of those ones that had a really large number of ingredients and to the degree that I just thought, I don't know about this. It yeah, just seems right. like a little bit too much. Anyway, it actually all came together pretty well. And then... Um, it all came together pretty well. Wow. They're really selling it. <laughs> it wasn't... I probably it wasn't disgusting. I probably wouldn't make it again. Look, I mean, I love beetroot, so, yeah. you know, what's to not love? But um, the other one was the spicy Moroccan carrot salad, which was uh, basically... Some carrots boiled and then sautéed with onions and then a heap of spices yeah, and that's a bit a of coriander. Salad, that, yeah, good that one basic, before, nice God. salad. There's 50 million versions of that Moroccan carrot salad and all of them are delicious. Pretty good. Yeah. And Even I made with date syrup. And I made, for, yeah, exactly. I made for dessert, uh, which was actually out of a Women's Weekly cookbook, uh, a creme caramel, which I had never made mm. before. But hilariously, I've got a bit of a issue with toffee. I feel like often when I make toffee, yeah. I have some problems. Anyway, I rang my friend George, who's an avid cook. Uh, I made him come around once when I was making something and said, I want you to stand here with me while I make the toffee and talk me through it so I can actually figure out why I keep messing it up. And so he did that. Anyway, I start cooking the creme caramel on Friday. I start doing the toffee. I look at it. And then I just go into a complete panic. And so I ring George, I'm doing it, I'm doing it, but it's, I just don't think it's working. It's just, anyway, George said, what have you done? I said, blah, blah, blah. And he went, well, it is working. Like, stop yeah. panicking. It is there working. There is a moment halfway. You were making a dry caramel, like where you just put sugar, sugar in the pan yeah. and then just. Dissolve the sugar and then and you don't boil it. Move don't it. stir yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. And so George just said, stop panicking. Don't touch it. It's just, it is going to go brown. It's not going to happen in like two seconds. George said, and I said, but I don't think it's working. I don't think it's working. And George said, look, what do you think is going to happen? Do you think it's going to turn back mm. into sugar and water? It mm. is working. Unless you are in a physics black hole, it is working. Anyway, two minutes later, I rang George back. But what if I am in a physics black hole? <laughs> anyway, it worked, but it got to the point where, because it keeps cooking once you take it off, I got it almost too brown because I yeah, kept leaving yeah, 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 yeah. But anyway, it worked out great. So um, I'm looking forward to your next novel, To Bugger Up a Caramel. <laughs> Featuring a red-headed racist, racist called Hyacinth <laughs> Bodice Ripper. <laughs> Sounds awesome. I'm going to write that mm -hmm. idea straight in my journal. Yeah. While I was in the kitchen cooking as well, I mm. happened to look out into the back courtyard, and guess what? Those Rents. little birds are back. Yeah. Oh, and you spotted them this time, and you cared well, enough to mention it. Because I was cooking, I couldn't help but look at them and think... I reckon they are like soft-shell crab, I think, in a delicious light tempura batter with a sweet chilli dipping sauce. Because you wouldn't need to bone them because the bones yeah. are so fine, you yeah. just crunch them straight up. Or, or, or There is just something thing. wrong with you, isn't or, there? Or I thought, southern fried between a sesame seed bun with hot English mustard and coleslaw. I just can't even look at you. <laughs> such a weirdo. <laughs> they look delicious. I love birds to eat. 
Um, nah. Yeah, moving on. <laughs> Are you doing any cooking? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, I'm doing. Uh, what have I cooked recently that would be of interest to you? Um, I ah, oh, the other thing I'm a bit obsessed with at the moment is miso butter. Um, it's oh. actually a recipe from um, Michael that's coming out a bit later oh. in the year, but um, it was kind of um, invented by my friend Wendy. And you just take um, about uh, you take half a block of butter and um, cut that half in half, melt one of the halves and just sort of mash up the other. Mm. Um, and then you put 60 grams of miso in. Miso paste. Yeah. Right. And um, two cloves of garlic, just mm. sort of minced, and um, a spring onion, minced. Mm. And then you put the melted butter in with the sort of hard butter and then you just basically mash and whip it all together. Mm. And then you add a squeeze of lime juice. And then you just sort of like basically pat it into a log. Mm. <laughs> Is that the least attractive sentence ever uttered by a human being? <laughs> pat it into a log, would you? <laughs> it's just, yeah. Yeah, and then what do you, what do you serve it with? That. Stupid bastard. <laughs> You're anyway. such a stupid bastard. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. So you now have a pre-patted lot of <laughs> miso butter. So it can be have all sorts of things done with it. So if you are a meat eater, mm. you could um, do yourself a steak and then just put a slice of that miso butter on the top and mm. it would melt all down, right? Mm, and that okay. would be, I am assured, delicious. Right. You could um, then you could toss it through some green beans, mm. freshly mm. steamed. That mm. would be delicious. But what Wendy does with it, which I have now become obsessed with, is you make um, a, a um, mushroom en papillon dish with it which is mushrooms in cooked in paper mm. much more posh than it sounds you just um slice up a few ribbons of zucchini and put that on a piece of um greaseproof paper i mean baking paper mm. and then you just chop up a bunch of um mixed mushrooms and give them a quick turn in the um pan with a tiny bit of butter and um, a little bit of tamari or mm. soy sauce um, and then you pile them onto the paper and then you make the paper into a parcel. You can sort of staple it at the top. It doesn't have to be elegant. Um, oh, before you do that, you put in um, a couple of slices of this miso butter, mm. put it in the oven for mm. about 10 minutes and the mushrooms steam and baste in this butter. Yeah. And it is just, oh, Yum. my God, so good. That sounds beautiful. Hey, we had a lovely, you and I went out for a meal last night, that, and for dessert we shared a bomb Alaska. The ice cream was a gingerbread ice cream. Yeah. That was the bomb, it literally was, it the was bomb. The, the bomb star. Alaska. It was the star. Yeah. Oh, my God. So I actually thought to myself, I need now to learn how to make gingerbread ice cream. I went to Cornwall once and had ginger ice cream which was like was like had chunks of gingerbread in it and right. i think that this, this is was smooth yeah yeah um, i think um we need to work out how to do that i've only tried to make bomb alaska once and it was hard well it is i mean it's kind of counterintuitive because it's you know the hot ice cream in the core and then this sort of and 
if you're really good at it, you do a beautiful pattern on the meringue mm. and then you sort of flame it with one of those yeah. um, torches. Yeah. But no, it was it was pretty difficult. I ended up like just eating it out of the, you know, sort of oh, container. So <laughs> well, okay, so that's our assignment. All right. Make gingerbread ice cream. Good plan. Right, well, we're at our 31 minutes. I can't believe, and it actually, I think, makes for a duller experience without interruptions, without poor audio quality. It's just so professional and, you know, we've just reached a new height of confidence. I noticed that my coat has been brushing on the microphone a bit, so hopefully there'll be a bit of... <laughs> <laughs> ...to drive everybody crazy. A hey, check out our, our, um, our iTunes thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Leave us a review if you like us, and uh, www.chat10looks3.com, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.